heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. We hear lots of talk in our nation about critical race theory. Uh, we, we hear the you know what's been happening with this uh, racism business and politics. But I, but I think what I really want to explore today is is this really a problem of left and right, or is it a problem of up and down? Uh, from big government thinkers in Washington. Uh, typically, it comes from both sides of the aisle. Not always is it just one side that you can point at. Now, that's a little bit of a quandary I throw at you there. But today on The Voice of a Nation, I want to talk about all things that go down this road of what critical race theory is, uh, but how it plays into current day politics in America is a big deal. Congressman Byron Donalds, he is trying to join the Congressional Black Caucus, and uh, he is being met with some pretty big resistance. Uh, Congressman, welcome to The Voice of a Nation. It's a pleasure to have you. Hey, how you doing? It's uh, good to be with you. Let me read you something, uh, a publication that says one of the uh, Tallahassee reports, I think it is. Part of the problem is you go on to say, as a black man in America, I'm allowed to have my own thoughts on who I choose to support and who I choose not to support. Uh, And this is whether the ideology of somebody who is conservative is welcome in the Congressional Black Caucus. Now, right now, there's there are no other conservatives in that caucus, are there? No, there's not. No. And so you would be the first. And when did you first apply? Tell us what's happening with what's the story here? Well, I mean, it's not even really an application. Um, When I first got sworn in, a couple of members of the CBC asked me if I would be interested in joining. You know, I expressed to them that, yeah, I would be. Um, and because I, I was in a legislative black caucus in Florida. And so, you know, they just said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to you. And then we just never heard anything. You know, my staff reached out a couple of times. We still never heard anything. And so at that point, you know, we just were just kind of waiting to see what was going to come of it. And, uh, then a news article is, is dropped basically saying like I'm being blocked. And so that's the first I've heard of anything was from, a. Uh, unnamed report of somebody, you know, who spoke under the condition of anonymity. Uh, let, anonymity let, yeah, let me, let me, now you're speaking, hours. you're speaking about the report coming out of BuzzFeed, I believe, with the anonymous sources. Yeah, 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 right. the, yeah the, the Buzz, the BuzzFeed report. Yeah. And so then the thing is kind of, the story's kind of taking on a life of its own, but, you know, I've not talked to anybody from the CBC since then, you know, they've kind of gone silent on the whole thing. People ask me about it like yourself and my position is, you know, I'm, obviously black that goes without question i'm a member of congress you know but even though my ideology is different even though my political viewpoints are different um that doesn't mean that somehow i should be barred especially when uh there have been former black republicans who've been a part of the caucus yeah well i love this quote you say here you're quoted as saying i have and this is good you say i have a perspective being a 42 year old black man who's come up in america after a lot of the battles uh, through the civil rights movement that I think would actually be helpful and a helpful perspective to the CBC. Whether they want to take advantage of that is really up to them. 
Now, and, and you go on to say you grew up in the inner city of Brooklyn in a single parent household and achieved the American dream. And I love that story, Congressman, uh, where you put that out there. But part of the challenge, what BuzzFeed is suggesting with through anonymous sources, and it's always anonymous sources, it seems, uh, they're saying it's because of your support of Donald Trump and conservative values. Is that your take on it right now? Uh, probably because it's the only differentiating factor between my, you know, myself and Mia Love or myself and Alan West. You know, and I, honestly, I think that's sad because if you're going to reduce a person or distill somebody down to their support of a president, um, what does that say about our country? That actually says the worst things about our country. We're supposed to be uh, a country that's supposed to be based where, you know, all people are created equal. That's based on tolerance, based on freedom, based on the ability for you to speak however you feel and, and, and say your piece and not to be persecuted for such. But now, obviously, that's very, very different. Yeah, but but isn't that the problem when you say it's based on our country? But isn't that the problem is, isn't racism and race being used in a very political environment right now for people to use it as a tool to get what they want? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's my viewpoint. I, I have to agree with that. I think it's really using the, the, the history of the country as a way to be, create political divides and in some respects, create political silence. And that's just in the complete opposition of what the country stands for and to quote the left what our values are you know i love when they come up with these cute little phrases uh so i tried to use them as like if is it, i didn't really like i didn't really realize it was our values to exclude people because of who they decided to support uh for president of the united states see that has got to uh, i mean it hurts me uh it's got to hurt you as a black conservative and your roots of where you grew up and now to achieve as you say right. the american dream which your story congressman donald's really and truly is is an american story just as mine is but that's what this country is based on which is really it, it's the epicenter of freedom that you fight for every day this kind of a story where you're seeing how they use race in washington which you're, you're at the epicenter up there in dc with this thing it's got to hurt you as an american it does. But, you know, the way I look at it is that my job is to be a leader um, about what the country should be going towards, not what its current political environment might might be. And really not to add to that, but in, a lot, in some respects to rise above it and really show, you know, Republicans and Democrats or whether you're black and white or, you know, whatever, or you're rich or poor, that we can have these disagreements. We can be on the other side of the political spectrum. Um, but we're still Americans. And as much as we might try to fight over who, what the political future of our country is going to be, we have to understand that we're still the best country in the world. Uh, we do have adversaries across the globe. And, you know, there is a, a basic set of values that we do hold dear and that we have to respect and maintain no matter what's going on around us. The challenge you've used in race, when you look at theories like, let me talk to you about critical race theory and how that's being utilized from, I guess you'd say the left and what they're, how they're utilizing this. Critical race theory in its, in its basic form, isn't it a racist program to begin with? Well, it, two facets. I think number one, if you wanna talk about the actual theory, right. you know, people in academia are allowed to theorize and use race as a control factor to try to make an understanding of, of the history of the country and its progression. You know, academics are allowed to think that, frankly, anybody's allowed to kind of invest their time in that theory. The problem is, is that in application, when they try to distill it down into classrooms and into our military, it's very divisive. It's, it's, it's racially divisive because you're saying <clears throat> that a third grader 
um, who is who, who was born in this in this century essentially is somehow an oppressor uh, because of the sins of the past of the country from 300 years ago, 200 years ago, 100 years ago, and just because of their um, their skin their skin pigmentation, their 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 biology somehow they're an oppressor, and that a, a young black kid who's who's in the third grade as well is somehow oppressed because of the genealogy of the country. I think you know having that kind of a of an apparatus or a culture in our schools is destructive of the country. And I, and I think, and to a broader point here, here's where people are getting, are getting on the wrong side of this, because if you oppose critical race theory, like I do, that does not mean that you oppose teaching history. And I think you have people who are saying, well, if you oppose CRT, then you're opposing teaching about slavery in classrooms. That is not true. I think we should completely teach history. We should teach all the history. We shouldn't teach parts of it. We shouldn't teach the parts that are politically convenient, whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat. We should teach it all. We should be consistent. But what we got to be careful of not doing is putting subjective theories into the classroom or into our military because that's destructive. And it's not about just diversity and inclusion. CRT goes beyond that because CRT seeks to fix the sins of the past by a, a, a theoretical uh, a theoretical subjective teaching of how people should conduct themselves going forward. Yeah. And that I think is inappropriate. Yeah. Is it really though, answer me this, is it really about teaching history or is it about changing history? You see all of these stories now uh, where the 1619 project, when the country was founded, changing history, you have that part of the equation. Then you have the other part of the equation where you have the cancel culture knocking historical statues down and damning everything that they don't agree with. Uh, so it's not even just teaching it. They want to change it, Congressman. No, I think the, I think the appropriate way to look at it is they want to leverage history for their political ends. OK, so they're trying to leverage the bad parts of history to accomplish a political ideology that mm. if the country was in a basic harmony and peace with one another, with each other, you could not achieve. You could not pass that political ideology that that ideology would never be successful in the United States if people were largely happy with the current standing of the United States. So you have to go back and use the history of our country and mm-hmm. leverage it and leverage the anger of that history mm-hmm. in order to accomplish your political ends. Mm-hmm. That's the danger of critical race theory, in my view. And so, I, and, and so I'm very clear on this. When it comes to our military, when it comes to departments of government, mm-hmm. when it comes to our schools, it has no place. If corporate America wants to sanction CRT workshops, that's corporate America's business because they're private entities. They can largely do what they want. If individual Americans want to read uh, the writings of critical race theory theorists, that's completely up to them because we're a free nation. They're allowed to do that. What we should not support is the federal government using funds to subsidize the implementation of these programs across Mm -hmm. the United States. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and the Biden administration has come out in big support for CRT. In fact, they're pushing it. States are fighting back and saying we're not going to have it. They're threatening funding again from the DOE. Uh, Still, states are pushing back. So you have this also bigger fight of states' rights versus big government, don't we? Absolutely. And I think states are well entitled to say what they are and are not going to do within the borders of, 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 of their jurisdiction. You know, we have to understand something. This, and this is a, a broader point about federalism. Okay. You've got to understand that the state, state governments are not agents of the federal government. The federal government is actually an agent of the state governments. The, the, the ratifiers to the Constitution would have never signed off on the Constitution 
if their powers were going to be limited or going to be, frankly, squashed by the federal government. They never would have signed on to the Constitution. I wouldn't be a member of Congress as a result. Mm -hmm. The Capitol would never have been built. And so, you know, this battle between states and the federal government is an important one because it really doesn't matter if you're talking about a Republican president or a Democrat president. What's important to understand is that the states have sovereignty. They are allowed to act in the interest of their citizens as they see fit. And it's not the role of the federal government to try to override them just because the federal government believes, depending on who's in charge, that it has ultimate power. I mean, your points that you make are most impressive. And the way you put the argument out there, I love what you talked about earlier about the way they're leveraging the argument. That's a great point for Americans to pay attention to. And what you're talking about now with states' rights and who is the agent of who, this is vitally critical what you're speaking about. We've gotten lost as Americans into what's important right now. And a lot of people think the states work for the federal government, but it is the opposite way around. And that's how the framers envision this. How do we get back to that? I mean, because I don't think the vast majority of Americans have a clue of what they really think that Uncle Sam, big government, is the wherewithal and the answer for everything that ails us. Don't you think? I do. And I think the way you get back to it is that this is actually the historical teaching that our young people need. Amen. It's not just about the big highlights in our country. It's about the actual teaching of the framing of the country itself. Um, talk about what actually, what actually was the prelude to the United States Constitution. That should be taught in our high schools. So our high school students understand that the reason our government is framed the way it is, is because of the history, and this goes back to teaching history, is because of the history of not just the colonies with the British kings, but also the, the history of just people with respect to monarchies and, and oligopolies and theocracies throughout all of world history. And that's why we are the grand experiment. That's why the federal government is actually supposed to be subservient to the states, not the other way around, because they did not want an all-powerful central government, because frankly, that's the history of most governments around the world. In, in world history, forget American history for a moment. I think that when you actually teach that level of understanding to young people, it helps our citizens to understand the right balance of power between the federal government, state governments, and, and, and the people. Can I ask you, growing up, as you talked about, up in New York and as a young man and achieving the American dream, you're a strong black conservative voice, which is so badly needed. You know, another strong black conservative voice, Dr. Carol Swain is on our network here, does a program, all part of it. And I think of you in the same light because you get back to American values and what fundamentally make America stronger. When we look at black America as a whole, I'm wondering how you came to this amazing beliefs uh, system that you have as compared to so many others that have got caught uh, in the Marxist left uh, doctrine, if you will, when did you take this turn in your life and how did you, how did you find all this? Well, I mean, for me, I was 30 years old. I wasn't, I didn't really care about politics growing up or even in college. And even as a, as a young adult out of college, okay. um, I kind of found politics um, through my career in, in the finance world, you know, because economics doesn't lie. It is what it is. It's not about economics. It's not about politics. Economics is about value of money, uh, availability of goods, scarcity of goods, value of those goods, ability to thrive, the things that are important to everybody. Um, so, you know, my, my underlying philosophy under a lot of this stuff is if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. 
And I think it's quite simple, but a lot of the political philosophies that come from the left, they sound good, but they don't make sense. And they cost far more than the value that they generate. And if something costs far more than the value it generates, the people who truly suffer are poor people in America because they don't have enough disposable income to achieve, to, to waste on the, the overspending, the, the out-of-line policy arguments. Um, they can't build wealth using Marxist ideology or progressives of uh, fiscal policy. They cannot build wealth. And if you can't build wealth, then why are we doing it in the first place? And so kind of from there, I kind of found John Locke. I found Montesquieu. I started actually understanding world history when it comes to governments and realized I was actually a conservative. So that was my journey. Uh, it wasn't really about hmm. the, the, okay. the race history of the country. It was really about understanding economics and understanding the political arguments that support the economic structure I know works mm, for mm. the most people. Because, you know, the left would argue that if, if there's one person that doesn't succeed, then it's not worth it. But that's not true. Because, you know, we're, we're a government. We're never going to fix everybody's problems. The left can't fix everybody's problems. Republicans can't fix everybody's problems. Uh, government can't fix your problems. What government can do is make sure that the economic system that's allowed to proliferate gives people the opportunity to fix their problems for themselves. And as long as you have that framework in a country, the most people will be allowed to be successful. And then, you know, people out of their own ingenuity, their own innovation, their own wealth creation can then make the determination for themselves to, to extend that helping hand to others who aren't able to make it. And what you say there is so powerful, Congressman. How do we fight this? Uh, well, let me ask you first, do, do you get a sense, as many other Americans do, that there is a, uh, a real nervousness out there about a Marxist takeover in our nation. We're seeing signs or levers at all levers of government. How concerned are you for that? Oh, I'm very concerned. Uh, we, there was a bill on the floor yesterday that called for um, companies being forced to report diversity quotas and their greenhouse carbon emissions um, and what their governance structure was like. What were the political contributions from people in the governance structure? I mean, it's, this is really fascist stuff. I mean, it was it was pure fascism. I, I gave a floor, a floor speech on it. I called it liberal fascism because that's exactly what it is. Um, so I am concerned about that because, um, unfortunately, the the Democrats, the majority party up here in, in Washington D.C., um, they have frankly fallen prey to the ideological the ideology of the progressive left, the Marxist left, whatever you want to call it. So I am concerned, but I will tell you that. There are even some rank and file Democrats who are starting to push back very quietly. They don't like what they're seeing um, because this stuff doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And, you know, there's no way to make consistent sense of it. Mm. It doesn't work in the long run. It might, you know, say, you know, it might, you know, help some people be happy that they achieve something. But that's but like I said, that helps some people feel that they achieve something. What about the rest of Americans who are going to be lost in the shuffle? And so that's why I think ultimately it won't be successful, but I am quite concerned. You are definitely uh, one of my new heroes in Washington, for sure. Your mindset and your thinking on this is tremendous. Uh, I, I thank you very much for joining us here on The Voice of a Nation, sir. Absolutely. There is so much to take from Congressman Byron Donald's uh, interview there. Uh, how passionate. I mean, I, I'm just totally, totally blown away with uh, many of the points he made. And really one of the biggest things I, I really want to ask the congressman in the future is how do we get that message and reach out to Black America? Isn't that really what we should be doing? 
because that's where the divide is. And I love the way he brought it back to the economics, which is really about capitalism. But the economics of life wasn't about racism that attracted him to be a, a conservative and, a, and an American patriot. It was on the economics and, and the really what equality stands for, that we all should have the right to move that ball forward. I think he touched on that beautifully well in a message that should be heard by every American, black, white, brown, yellow, it doesn't matter. This is a this is an American who uh, certainly has a belief structure, but we need more people that think like uh, Congressman Donalds in our government at really the local levels throughout all 50 states, but certainly in Washington, because they're just thinkers. They're somebody who they've distilled the problem down to what the problem really is. And then if people do that across our country, I can assure you of this. They're going to come away being more patriots. They're not going to come away as Marxists. They're going to come away as being patriotic. They're probably going to become away as wanting smaller government and probably a little more conservative in values. Now, listen, you can be socially liberal and that's fine. I mean, it's not an issue. That's an American value. And I think the congressman would agree with that. But we're talking about fundamentally in the way we run our country and the way we, we have rights and what those rights and liberties are. I think he pointed that out really well, that he learned that as a young man and that, that he found his path forward based on his ideals of what is so important. The question is, to me anyways, is how do we get that message right there? How do we bottle up what he has put out there? How do we get that out to the American people, to, to Black America specifically? First and foremost, because when you break it down, you think of how many in the Black American community vote to the far left uh, and they become caught into that political spiral. And the left has become very um, successful at using programs uh, to be able to put out there uh, to take credit for them like they're the answer to racism, everything that ails us. And quite often it's the direct opposite. They're the problem. And they're using it in a very politicized, polarizing environment. And it does harm to the fabric of our nation. That's what we're struggling with right now. So as you break the racism factor down, you've got to you know, look at the history. You know, one of the things I hear a lot from people is that there was a lot of damage done, they say, over the course of the first Black American president, a number 44, uh, Barack Obama, and uh, that there was a lot of, uh, that we were, we were, um, we lost maybe 50, 100 years in race relations. So we can argue the number and argue the point, but that it wasn't a good thing. You know, many people thought, well, having the first black American president will be a beautiful thing for race in our country. But when you think back before 2008, where were we mentally as a nation? We really weren't talking about race in the way that we are now at the water cooler. It wasn't that big. It wasn't that kind of a problem. In fact, we had made such progress in our country to get as far away from slavery as we could possibly do. And then all of a sudden it's been spotlighted back. And that's an argument that we can have as to why was all of that, uh, th those hostilities, why did they come out of the Obama era, you know, from 08 to 2016? Why was that such a bad time for uh, black politics in America? That's, that's a quandary. It's a question I think we need to answer and find out why, why that is, why it divided the people and not why it didn't bring the people together.
is, is the thought process. So, so today on The Voice of a Nation, uh, this is going to be an amazing couple hours here. Uh, we spoke to the congressman, got a good sense. I, I love what he said there. That, that's something we definitely want to play back and hear his points of reference again. Um, solid, solid. Uh, but now I want to get on to some other things. We have some educators joining the program today, some really brilliant people. Uh, uh, one uh, doctor that worked up in D.C., Dr. Karen Hiltz, Karen Schoen will join us. Uh, Wallace Garneau will be up talking about this open letter he wrote to, to the former president. Uh, fascinating. Uh, I want to try to slay this conversation today about racism in America, uh, but specifically about critical race theory and and the roots of where that comes from, critical theory as a Marxist uh, program. Uh, so lots of this conversation, actually. The main thing is we've got to really uh, spotlight these issues and we've got to resolve them in a way that people can embrace what we're talking about uh, because the trickery that's utilized in the political circles are from the left, they are brilliant marketers and they know how to take these things and throw them out there for mass consumption and the problem is, my fellow Americans, a lot of people simply are not paying attention. A lot of Americans are simply not paying attention. They're busy living their lives, raising their families, working their jobs. They only hear the talking points of the package. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's, you know, okay, well, they're, they're working hard for Black America. You know, like June, Juneteenth. Oh, yeah, Pelosi. Yeah, she's good for Black America. And of course, all of their policies really are just, they're hostile to the Black American community. The hostilities there are incredible, but they package up in a way that is digestible and too many people are buying into it hook, line and sinker. It should worry everybody because that's where elections are going to be won and lost in our nation. And then you have to look further is what's the ideology behind that? And the ideology behind a lot of these programs are driven in Marxist roots. That is the problem of where we find ourselves. It's not real complicated. We just need to break it down for everybody so you do understand. We're going to take a pause here. Be back with lots more The Voice of a Nation in just a moment. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Hail, my fellow Americans. How did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down. Uh, you were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list, and they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM sleep. 
the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. So, you know, I've referenced in number 44, Barack Obama, and uh, I say to you that, you know, there was a lot of people that were hopeful that, uh, you know, his term in office would have done a lot for black America. Yeah, you know, you think back to before 08, and it just ask yourself, were we having the kind of racial problems we're having today? Because I've never seen a time in my life where this has become so polarizing and where race relations is really at an all-time low. Uh, and a, a lot of people don't even understand the argument. Well, and, and of course, the, the, you know, the bad joke about that is if you don't understand the argument, you're never going to find the answer, people. And, and that's, of course, that's what the political operatives are hopeful for. They basil you and dazzle you with bullshit, basically. Uh, and that is the problem we have here. So, you know, I asked the question, uh, you know, really, did we succeed with the Obama administration having the first black American president? And of course, some people will be smart and argue that back and say, no, no, it's not the first. Uh, he was ha- only half uh, black. I don't even want to hear that stuff. OK, I mean, it is what it is. Um, we all have different aspects in us. We're all mutts. We're all mutts of America. That's a beautiful thing about America, actually. I'm a mutt. Certainly. I don't know how many people my family slept around with, but we got more origins and more backgrounds and nationalities in us to shake a stick. Uh, but that's uh, another another argument for another day, isn't it? Uh, let's talk about Obama race, critical race theory, the roots of it, where it comes from, the success, the failures. What did we accomplish? Why are we at each other's throats in this country? And we'll do that next year. Happy to bring on Wallace Garneau joins us. He's a two-service military veteran and author, political economics uh, analyst. Uh, what I really like about Wallace, he's a thinker, uh, a student of history. Uh, he's been studying and writing about economic and political policy for more than 24 years. Now, interestingly enough, the congressman talked a lot about economics and why he became a conservative in a very interesting way, Wallace. Uh, the congressman Donald's he talked a lot about his roots. He grew up in a one-family household in Brooklyn. And, and I asked him the question, how did you become more conservative in nature? And how did we reach out to the rest of Black America that you become a patriot? And he said he, he really didn't look at race as the attraction. He looked at the economics, which really comes to, again, capitalism. But what his attraction was to be in becoming a patriot, becoming a lover of the Constitution and a conservative in values, that's a beautiful day, man. I got to tell you. And then I say, how do we put his? How do we package his me- message and put it on every store shelf in America to wake people the hell up? Uh, black, white, brown, yellow, whatever. And that really is the quandary. The question you wrote a very interesting open letter uh, to former President Barack Obama, and uh, and it, it was interesting. I wasn't sure when when it first when you first sent it in, and I looked at it. And I said, oh boy, where's he going with this? I thought. You know, really, truly. And then I had to read through it and I thought, wow, well, this is a real eye opener here. 
Uh, I'd like you to let's share some of that with America now. And, and in between, it's a little bit of a longer letter, but let's let's dissect it a little bit and break it up a little bit here. You kind of call out the former president, number 44, for being part of the problem, not part of the answer. And what's really striking in here, which floored me as well, is that you as a conservative minded fellow actually ended up voting for him, which your letter talks about that. I won't hold that against you now, but uh, please <laughs> let me have you start. And would you would you mind reading parts of that letter and open it up a little bit, please? You bet, Malcolm. I'd love to. It's titled An Open Letter to Former President Barack Obama. Sir, I watched your recent interview with Anderson Cooper with interest. Through that interview, you lectured the American people on critical race theory, essentially telling us that if we do not accept critical race theory, we are racists and that we need to get over ourselves because the changes critical race theory represents are going to occur whether we like it or not. You then chuckled at the idea that critical race theory could in any way be a threat to our nation. Allow me to take a moment to call you out on the extreme bullshit you just peddled. First off, allow me to congratulate you on being a first-class bullshitter. I actually voted for you in 2008 after hearing John McCain say that he was going to continue the economic policies of George W. Bush. Bush was a big government Republican who never saw a dollar he couldn't spend. You, in the meantime, sounded very much like small government, like a small government Democrat running in the same vein Bill Clinton did in 1992 when he declared that the, big, the era of big government is over. I knew as soon as the election results were in and your wife said that, that you winning the election was the first time in her entire life that she was proud of our country, that voting for you was a critical mistake. You, sir, hate our country. You hate its foundational documents. And in violation of your oath and serve of office, you did everything you possibly could to turn the institutions of our country against the very nation they are designed to serve. You turned the Department of Justice and IRS against your political opponents, ran the least transparent presidency in American history, with the possible exception of the administration office right now, and did everything you could to forward a radical un-American agenda. Critical race theory is not only a threat to our nation, but is the single largest threat our nation has ever faced. Critical race theory rejects individualism, and in doing so, it rejects everything this nation has ever done or stood for. When you say that racism is in our DNA, you are claiming that the very fabric of our, of our nation is racist, that the concepts of freedom and liberty are racist. All right, let's hold it right there now. So that's okay. That's part of that letter. Again, the open letter, friends, if you just joining us, to former President Barack Obama uh, that uh, Wallace Garneau had written. Uh, so let's let's kind of dissect what you've got there so far. I mean, you're, you're pretty hard on uh, the president. You admit that, OK, listen, I thought maybe you would be for smaller government. I like the way you said that because you're right. John McCain, Bush policies. I talked about that earlier. That's that that had become a big problem uh, with our nation. It's what actually empowered Barack Obama. Uh, what is it with Obama when you talk about, uh, let's talk about our, the uh, original documents. You, you call them out on the, I love the way you say this actually, foundational documents, Wallace, um, and being a vi violation of your oath. Let's talk about what kind of damage did Obama do when it came to those foundational documents and in turn in race against the American people because he, he, is, he really is at the epitome of this argument when it comes to Black America. And I guess the bigger question people are wondering is, did he do more damage to race in our country than anyone over the last 100 years? It's hard to say when you go back over 100 years. I mean, you start to get into the era of Jim Crow there. Uh, so I don't, I, don't want to compare, I don't want to compare Obama with somebody from the Jim Crow era. But certainly over my lifetime, he has done more than any president of the United States to, to, to damage American race relations. 
And he did that simply by focusing on it. You know, our, our national motto is E Pluribus Unum, which is out of many one. And he's kind of reversed that and said out of one many. He's balkanized the public. He's focused on race as if race is something that should matter. Uh, and critical race theory, which Obama is a supporter, you know, the whole point of critical race theory is to say that race is the single most important defining factor of who you are, that race is inseparable from you. It's inseparable from your, your basic makeup, from your culture, uh, and from your behaviors. Uh, the, the whole concept of individualism, which is predicated on the idea that all people are equal and that all people have the same rights and the same abilities, uh, critical race theory rejects that entirely. And in doing so, it rejects all of our founding principles, all of our founding documents. Uh, it rejects the entire enlightenment upon which this country was based. All right. So, and and with Obama now that he was pushing this narrative that America was racist and everything was founded on race and the color of your skin. I mean, it seems like since 2016, since he left office, what I'm gathering now is they took all that and they pinned that back on Trump because what they did is they ridiculed number 45 and said they made Trump. They said, well, the left said he was the most racist man or racist president ever. And it seemed to me like the, the, the torch that was being passed on from 44 to 45. I don't know. There was something about this. The table was set after 44 and the way he made race the center of the argument that you just laid out perfectly well. And then it was like, I mean, Trump just came along and he did more for black America in his four years. People would argue when you look at what he did with everything from prison reform to the economic numbers and creating a, a, the uh, wow, a, a light a, a viability in the black community we had never seen before. How many Americans do you think right now, Wallace, know what we just said that paid attention that when you look at those two administrations, we're talking night and day? Probably about 72 million Americans. I think that's the number that voted. Maybe it was 75 million Americans. Whatever the number that voted for Trump was, those would be the ones who know those numbers. Well, they actually, they say the numbers are more 80 million that voted for him, but that's about election fraud. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't want to get into that on this topic. Exactly. But, but yeah, there's, there's certainly there were some funny things going on there. Um, what, what really happened is during the Obama administration, the political left changed the definition of the word racist. And they're very, very good at this. They will, they will take a word that has a negative connotation yeah. And they'll find a way to flip that word over so they can use it against their political opponents, like the word fascism, for example. They'll call they, 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 they throw that around as if Adolf Hitler was some kind of a libertarian or something, which is absolutely absurd. And they did the same thing with racism. They said, well, we don't like the way the, the word racism is defined. So instead of calling it the, the belief that, that there are ma major differences between races that make some people better than others based upon their race, instead of saying that, we're going to say that it's power plus privilege. And then we're going to take the further step and say that we can assume at least some level of subconscious privilege or a subconscious uh, uh, prejudice, rather. So that really all it is is power. And then they look at it and they say, well, who's in power? White people. Therefore, white people are racist. And if, if you look at the implication that based on the traditional definition of racism, the one you and I grew up with, mm -hmm. that definition is itself racist. So now we have two definitions of racism, uh, which every American will invariably fit into one or the other. If you're on the political right, if you still use the dictionary definition of racism, I actually have a dictionary on my desk. If you use that definition of, of racism, then you would say that basically everybody on the political left is a racist, from Barack Obama, Joe Biden, uh, the, the whole clan, the whole crew. Uh, if you use the definition of racism that they have replaced the real definition with, 
then you would say, well, if you don't see race in those in those lights, if you don't think that your race is the single most important defining factor in who you are, you're the racist. So what Obama did is, is he talked about, for example, black needs and black interests in terms of politics in terms of economics. Well, I may see the world in terms of inner city needs, but I don't think white people in the inner city are any more advantaged, you know, growing up downtown Detroit, going to the same schools. I don't think they're any more advantaged or disadvantaged than other black kids in downtown Detroit. And similarly, I live in the, uh, in the suburbs and there are, there are black families in my neighborhood and they're no more or less privileged than I am. You know, if you look statistically, for example, if you look at Two, uh, if, if you look at, at, at African-American households with two parents that went to college versus the same group for white people, African-Americans actually make more. The problem isn't that African-Americans are systemically uh, are systemically oppressed, at least not by the systems that they say they're that, that the Democrats say they're systemically oppressed against. The real problem is that you don't have as many African-American families that are, for example, raised in a two-parent household. Right, right. And actually, Congressman Byron Donalds up top of the program uh, was a shining example of that. He, w- he was raised in a one family household up in Brooklyn. And again, he he discovered the light more in his 30s uh, and became a conservative and a patriot at that point. Let's continue on with the letter. And I want to get down to when you keep going. And then uh, when you talk about Candace Owens, I want to I want to uh, cut in there again. Go ahead. You bet. Critical race theory is a religion based on Gnosticism, just as Gnosticism makes the claim of secret knowledge that will unlock hidden divine powers only true believers can see. So true, so too critical race theory offers to open the eyes of adherents such that they can see the world in its true form. Proponents literally call that being woke, and it is the same thing as the hidden knowledge Gnostics promise. Critical race theory makes uh, makes being white the equivalent of original sin, and it offers white people redemption, but only if they become radical adherents to critical race theory. White adherents are told not to have voices themselves, but to forward the voices of people of color acting as anti-whiteness allies. People of color, particularly black people, are turned into what amount to a priest class, but with the caveat that they are not allowed to stray from the tenets of critical race theory, lest they be outcast as traitors to their race. There are many problems with critical race theory, but the biggest one is that adherents are not allowed to question it. As a white Republican, I get somewhat of a pass. You'll say that I'm too old to be relevant, a dinosaur of a dying age, and then you'll leave me alone. Were I a black Republican like Candace Owens or Thomas Sowell, I would be attacked rapidly for the unforgivable sin of thinking for myself. That's it right there. All right. Now, this is a great point you bring up here, and I want to reference again Congressman Byron Donalds, who now is all over the national news uh, now because he's a first-term congressman out of uh, the state of Florida uh, for the House. He, he was uh, a, um, uh, I think he served four years uh, in the Florida House of uh, Representatives, uh, but now he is a member of the U.S. Congress. He's trying to join the Congressional uh, Caucus there, the Congressional Black Caucus, and they are uh, not accepting him in. Now, he's a supporter of Trump, He's made that very clear in public. He's a conservative voice, uh, but they're pushing back now. And everybody's asking why when, the, you know, there's no other really strong conservative voice on the Congressional Black Caucus. And he was asked if he was interested in it. And he said, yes. So you mentioned Candace Owens and, and, and uh, Thomas uh, Sowell and uh, others that have been called out that are more black patriots, conservatives. And I find it interesting, Wallace, that Donalds fits into this group as well, and they are attacked. And he's, he's also going through this right now. 
But he's an interesting role model because what I take from the congressman is he's rising above the debate. He doesn't, he's not taking their bait, in other words, and he's staying on the real argument. And I think that's the way you win this thing, don't you? Oh, absolutely. If you back down, they'll just keep attacking you. The only way you can win this is by standing up to them, pointing out the hypocrisy of their position and saying, look, he's just as black as you are. He's got a right to think for himself. He has a right to his own opinion. And what you're trying to say is, no, as a black man, he does not have the right to think for himself. You're the racist, not him, you. But you have to understand from their position, he's a blasphemer. Now, this is a religion we're talking about. Mm -hmm. It was intentionally created to look like a religion, to have the basic tenets of a religion. It's completely non-falsifiable once you're in it, because they, they throw out all of the things you could use to try to falsify it. And they look at him as a blasphemer, as simple as that. Yeah, you know, to your point, you, you, you always hit it there. And he, his words, he said this, Wallace, and I quote, as a black man in America, I'm allowed to have my own thoughts on who I choose to support and who I choose not to support. This is whether the ideology of somebody who is conservative is welcome in the Congressional Black Caucus. It's really that simple. He said, if my position is my support of Trump is a problem for them, let them state that on the record. So he's forcing their hand. You follow? Oh, yeah. He's forcing them to say what they believe. And my, my opinion is they'll be happy to do so because they've, they've done that to other people. I think you're right. Candace Owens, Thomas Sowell, I, I think they'll be perfectly happy to do that. Yeah, I think you're right. I absolutely think uh, you're, you're correct there. So it's an interesting how that fits into your letter, which you didn't even know. And again, you, you isolate the problem very well. Let's continue with the letter. Go ahead. You bet. Critical race theory posits that a system of justice that looks only at the specific tenets of each individual case and that decides guilt or innocence based solely on the facts as they pertain to each individual case is racist, as this sense of justice ignores group innocence and group guilt. Proponents of critical race theory hate our police, not because they view policing as evil, Anifa claims to the right to effectively be the police, but because they view the police as the enforcement arm of the American system of justice. And since they view that the actual system is racist, they see no difference between a police officer and a Klansman. Racism is the belief that people can be categorized by race and that race is a determining factor in the makeup of a person. Critical race theory categorizes people by race and makes race the determining factor in the makeup of each person. Critical race theory is racist, and it comes as no surprise to non-racist Americans like me that critical race theory is peddled to the same political party that gave us slavery, Jim Crow, and the KKK. You, sir, the modern adaptation of America's racist past, selling the American people a new snake oil of my version of hatred is better than yours. We, the American people, reject all forms of race-based hate. In short, we reject you. I reject critical race theory, and I reject the people who peddle it. You are an anti-American fool who has dedicated his professional life to the destruction of the United States, and I stand opposed to you. The problem with America's founding is nothing to do with our foundational values. The notion of freedom and liberty, of individual justice and individualism overall, made us an exceptional nation, an exceptional nation. The greatness of other nations can be found in how well they have adopted our foundational values. And as we move away from those values ourselves, we become less great. Our sin was not in those values, but in our inability to apply them to everyone. It took us almost 100 years at the cost of a horrific civil war to finally start applying those values to all Americans. When we yeah. look at the civil war, I'm sorry, do we got to step in? Yeah, no, that's interesting. I love what you say there, and I made a couple of notes on it, but uh, I mean, you nailed it right there in the hundred years and the cost of the war and where we're at. And now, but it brings back to what we just said moments ago and the damage that's being done to our nation. 
and we're not in we're not embracing those foundational values and and what they stand for our freedom and liberty i want you to go on when you talk about um him being an intelligent man just a little bit later on go ahead okay when we look at the Civil War, incidentally, it was very much a war in which Republicans forced our founding values down the throats of the Democratic South against the will of your party. We, the Republican Party, wrote the 13th and 14th Amendments, forced them down your party's throat, and true equality would have started to emerge had your party not formed the KKK and then had a Democrat-controlled Supreme Court effectively nullify the 14th Amendment by interpreting it independently of what I actually said, just as you would have the Supreme Court do with the entire U.S. Constitution today. Your party, not mine, followed up on the Civil Rights Act, which was written and sponsored by Republicans and passed into law only after your party conducted the longest filibuster in American history trying to stop it with the war on poverty, which Milton Friedman more amply called the war on black people. You make the claim that there are not enough jobs to go around and use that to call for generous welfare to take care of inner city mothers and children, separating the father from the home. And then when there are enough jobs, you call for raising the minimum wage so that you can price more people out of the workforce and support your welfare trap. You, are, you treat welfare and minimum wages as solutions for poverty in spite of the fact that the government dependency they create causes poverty. But that is all fine and dandy with you as an impoverished dependent people tend to vote for more benefits. Linda B. Johnson created a permanent class of dependent voters and the policies you supported and continue to support are designed to hold people down. Allow me to say, sir, that you're an intelligent man who knows exactly what he is doing. Yeah, right there. And so with what you say right there, I mean, Wallace, is there any question in your mind that Barack Obama is a Marxist? No, there are multiple forms of authoritarianism. I believe Barack Obama would be a, would, would, is probably a Marxist, but there are other forms of authoritarianism. And it's, it's hard to pinpoint exactly who is who until they start talking about specific policies. He never got that far. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great point. He hides his uh, he hides his uh, Crayola crayons very well, doesn't he? Oh, absolutely. He, he and Hillary Clinton both. Remember when she yeah. told the partners of Goldman Sachs that uh, they, she had two political platforms that were completely separate and that she should not they should, they should not worry about anything she says in public because that has nothing to do with what she would actually do once elected president. And she had a separate set of policies that she actually outlined a little bit of to Goldman Sachs in a letter that was leaked from John Podesta's email. Uh, but she told him, you know, this is what I say to the public. It's got nothing to do with what I'd actually do if I was elected. This is what I would actually do if I was elected. And, you know, when somebody comes right out and tells you my entire political platform's a lie just to get me elected, and I'm going to do something that has nothing to do with that, now why would you ever vote for that person? Yeah, I mean, when we talk about the intelligence of somebody, there are a lot of people who would say, well, Barack Obama's an idiot or he's stupid. And you're so right to say he's not any of those things. Uh, all of these people that we're speaking about actually have a high IQ. Uh, they just choose to use their intelligence for more nefarious purposes. And what it is, Wallace, in my view, is they all have a different vision and view of America. It's not that they don't love America. They just love a different kind of America. They look at an America in a different light than how patriots would look at America, which is through the eyes of our framers and founders who created this beautiful American experiment we love so much and that I, I, I talk about and hold on the, the highest uh, honor uh, to be an American here. Uh, we It's very unique. And when we talk about what we're dealing with right now as a nation and somebody like uh, in Obama, you look at the damage he's done. And I, I covered him pretty extensively on national radio uh, through all kinds of networks. 
And I, I loathe the man's policies. I loathe his tendencies and what he did to our country. Uh, and I, I railed against him every chance I could. Never liked him, never voted for him, wouldn't. Uh, and, you know, I don't like big Republicans either, but I'll tell you what, he is a no-go to me and the damage that he did. So then you talk about next, to get to the crux in our time here, you talk about what can we do next. And you talk about 2022, and then you get on uh, to this idea, we will not allow this nation to become the socialist hellhole you imagine. Of course, that is accurate. I love that line. Uh, we will rather rise up in 2022 in such a number. Do you think we can do that, Wallace? Can we rise up to take the House and the Senate back in 2022? Is America po poised for that right now? I think that America is poised for that as long as conservative voices can get spread far and wide. I think the issue we have right now is that we have this tri this 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 kind of uh, uh, unholy trinity between the Democratic Party, our media, uh, and big business. And I would say that that's driven by by wow. that's driven by by a hostile foreign power as well. And if if we can get through that, if we can get our voices out and get our messages out to the American people, we can destroy them in 2022. Yeah, you you so get the argument. One of the things I love about going back and forth with you is you understand the argument. And, and in order to solve any of this, you have to understand the argument, but a lot of people don't. And they circle around what the real issue is and you just nailed it again. Now you talk about uh, if we do not take sufficient seats to impeach Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, because you said, and in fact, a lot of people are actually talk. I seen someone the other day, one of the uh, politicians come out and said, my goal is, oh, I forget who it was now, but I want to give uh, Joe Biden a half a term. Did you see that? Uh, I saw that, that. Yeah. Yeah. They want to give him a half a term. Other people would like to give him a quarter of a term and get him the hell out of there now. Uh, after his first hundred days, that was a train wreck of Marxism 101, how to how to screw up a country in uh, 90 days. You know, he could write the bestseller on that and become very wealthy just on that point. But of course, he's already wealthy through the guise of China. So he really doesn't need that. But you're talking about if we can't impeach him out of office, uh, him and Harris there, um, if we if we do not, and of course, uh, nobody really, patriots don't want to hear this, but if we do not take sufficient seats to impeach them, uh, we'll use Congress to weaken them as much as possible and we take the presidency in 2024. So the question becomes lessons learned as we get to this point of, of racism and critical race theory and lessons learned. And where we're at now in this fight, because the federal government is pushing CRT down states' throats. Donald's talked about that up front of the program, Wallace. He said, well, no, it's really states have the right to stand on this and push back to the federal government. The federal, it's, the states are not the agent for the federal government. The federal government, is in, in fact, Donald said that, is an agent for the states. These, these bastards work for us. They're supposed to. If you look at the Department of Education, prior to a federal Department of Education, local governments, uh, local uh, school boards had the control over what children were taught. And when, when it was done that way at the state and primarily even at the local level, it would have been impossible to have any kind of a national indoctrination campaign. But when Jimmy Carter created the Department of Education, he was able to kind of create national standards and say, this is what every school in the country is going to teach. And once you do that, it becomes very easy to have a national indoctrination program. And that is what CRT is. It is a national indoctrination program. And it's, it's designed to indoctrinate the American people into literally religion. Yeah, they're trying to make it a religion for sure. This is uh, really, I think today, uh, really, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying getting this message out to folks. 
uh, what we're talking about here now on CRT and the bigger level of meshing it into uh, the political spectrum, because you can't have this conversation without talking about the political players and who and where they are at, actually. Uh, I loved having Congressman Donald and his current plight of what he's dealing with. And, you know, one of the things, Wallace, you can't have this conversation. I don't think what we should have this conversation without having uh, Black America into the conversation. That's what makes this extra special today to have the congressman's voice in on this argument and debate of uh, what Black America is fighting for. so here's what we do. We're speaking now to Wallace Garneau. Love having him on. You hear the open letter. You can read that back at americaoutloud.com, my friends, uh, in open letter uh, to the former president, Barack Obama. Um, he, he, he was trying to be respectful when he wrote it. It's challenging to do that when your ideologies are so different. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it was a little colorful, but not too bad. And uh, uh, hell, if I'd have wrote it, but it'd been a lot worse. We wouldn't have been able to publish or talk about it on national radio, obviously. So it's far better than he did, clearly. Uh, but it's worth a read. Go read that, number one there. We're going to follow Donald's story, uh, for sure, the congressman. Up next in the program in hour two, we have a, really a couple of great educational experts coming on. Dr. Karen Hiltz will join us, who worked in D.C., uh, is an expert in CRT. Uh, Karen Schoen is an educator, former dean teacher, will also be on with us. Uh, and I want to continue to dive into the Marxist roots of, of critical theory and how, again, uh, the left has hijacked it. But more than just the left, I want you to think in these terms because I'm, I'm lit on this thing. It's not even really just the left and the right, the argument in my mind. My, mar- my argument is with Marxist ideologies, it's up and down. It's who's at the top of the rung of that ladder. And I have a whole bunch of names in mind to share with you. And who's at the bottom? I got news for you. You know who's at the bottom of that ladder? You and I. We're screwed three ways to Sunday on this program, and I don't like it. So you're listening to the voice of a nation. and soul of a nation beckons the call the voice of our forefathers heard in the distance a house divided against itself cannot stand to reclaim our honor honor, honor. our soul Soul. the challenges of a generation call out future generations hang in the balance we choose liberty this is the voice of a nation the nation the nation the nation and now malcolm One of the uh, single biggest challenges we're having with this whole uh, critical race theory, critical theory, racism charges, is that people are utterly confused. I mean, the public is totally bamboozled over all of this. And this is normally what happens in these situations because the political people get it, the folks who have agendas, and they twist all the narratives and the facts. Uh, And so then you really don't know what you're talking about or you don't know what side you're on it. Uh, So you're learning a great deal today about critical theory, uh, where that comes from, its Marxist roots, what it's about. Uh, You've heard up in the front of the program quite a bit from Congressman Donalds and uh, Wallace Garneau. Uh, So you should be now getting a better sense of what's happening I want to dive next into some of the historical factors of where back to where this thing is coming from. But let's not lose sight of the fact that, 
you know, the claims that people put this out there, this whole critical race theory, which is really newly packaged for America. That's the critical race theory. It's a, it's a new packaging program for our country. The people who are pushing this narrative out there, uh, you know, you'll have to go back and understand that critical race theory in its origins, which is critical theory, is a racist program. And I think it's very important to make that statement first and put that out there. So then you have to ask, well, why are so many people out there promoting it? A lot of political operatives are out there. They're typically on, on the left, the extreme left. Certainly people like you heard in the news recently with Barack Obama out there, number 44, talking about it and really ridiculing Americans. And we were talking about that with Wallace Garneau up top of the program. Uh, so we've got to listen. Uh, we've got to educate America on this topic because people are lost. They don't understand what's really being said. And uh, the narrative is the people who are pushing it are exactly in a lot of ways are the racist people. And they're using this as a way and a means to divide the people. I mean, it's just as a fact. And, and so let's get back to the origins of what this is and understand it and uh, we're going to bring forward now here with two educators that will join me. Thrilled to have both on here. Uh, Dr. Karen Hiltz joins us. The first time I've talked to her on air here. She's a Navy veteran, a retired federal procurement professional, former professor of business, former elected public school board member, author, speaker. Uh, she's involved in a lot of things in education and in and, and trying to get the politics part of this right. You, you can't avoid it today, people, if you want to make a difference, for sure. Also joining us is Karen Schoen is here. And Karen is the host of the Prism of America's Education. You hear her voice here on Saturday and Sunday on America Out Loud. She's an educator, dean, uh, former um, uh, teacher, all of that. She's got uh, a whole host of titles in that. She works very, very, very closely with the Education uh, Florida Alliance here in the uh, state of Florida by chance. Uh, but uh, her voice is heard all over the country and uh, she is uh, passionate as both ladies are very passionate about our education system, what's gone wrong, what's right about it and how do we fix it. And today we're talking about this critical theory uh, deal here. So what we've been talking about is the roots, and I want to start with you, Dr. Karen Hiltz, and talk about where this comes from. The uh, And we're speaking of the origins now of this uh, whole critical theory process. I think a lot of people are not understanding, Dr. Hiltz, that this comes from, uh, really has Marxist roots. Take a moment and let's explain to people from your understanding the origins of critical theory and how it met its way into the United States. Um with regards to critical race theory, it goes back um, decades, um, generations, uh, and it's and as you mentioned, it's uh, Marxist theory, and it's a way to divide people, not to unite people, which is the the saddest part about it, I think. But I like to talk about it from a little bit more modern perspective, in that we started out with uh, no child left behind. And that was a way to, for the federal government to standardize, standardize uh, uh, curriculum, standardize testing, and, and provide national standards. 
Now, I want to highlight here that, remember, the U.S. Constitution is silent when it comes to education. So from my perspective, the, U the federal government should have no role in educating our children. But then because of the failures out of No Child Left Behind, then comes Common Core. And that just compounded through more money at it, more strict standards, um, more manda mandated efforts and stuff. And there again, that's a way that was a, a way to, for the federal government to get into the states and demand things and to force them to follow a certain ideology. And I say that critical race theory is just a follow on to the failures of Common Core, because there again, it's a national push. It's a, uh, an, uh, an ideology that promotes, um, like you said, the propagandists, the leftists, the progressive ideologies to tell people what to think, how to think, and, and, it, and it buys into this one size fits all. And, that, and that's basically what it is, I think, is that they want to propagate this one size fits all, force every child to go down this one path. I call it, you know, it, education is manufacturing widgets. Um, and, and they are doing a good job at it because they're getting people to buy into this nonsense that we should look at people other than as human beings and fellow mm -hmm. citizens. So, so in a nutshell, mm -hmm. it, that's kind of my perspective yeah. uh, to make it more real to today's world. Well, the trickery of it all is it always comes under the guise of fairness, Dr. Hills, you know, fairness, right? Fairness for all, equality. And of course, all these words are used, they're all lit, polarizing words that are used to get your attention and clearly a lot of these programs do exactly the opposite, which you've just pointed out to say, well, it, it doesn't do what it's intended to do. It's the direct opposite. Yet they package it under that because again, the left is so smart in their packaging and marketing. They obviously got an A plus in that class versus the right can't seem to tie their shoelaces and get out of their own way when it comes to getting a message out to the public. You agree with that? Yes, I'm, I'm a firm believer in words have meaning and word mean, the meaning of words changes over time. And whoever um, confiscates or takes charge of the word, they define the word and they put out there that we need equity. Well, equity is not equality. They are two different meanings. Um, and as I'm sure you've probably heard multiple times, equality is dealing with opportunity. Equity, equity is dealing with redistribution of resources or equity is allocation of resources, which means redistribution. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take from this child because of their color, their gender, their age, whatever the case might be. And they're doing OK in school. Their test scores are pretty good and stuff. Mm -hmm. But we've got this other child over here that doesn't fit into the same mold. And so we're gonna take resources or not, I'm sorry, not allocate resources uh, to the one child. And so we're going to redirect those resources to this child who doesn't seem, and they have this, this you know, concept that that's gonna make children equal. And it's not because they, one thing that they continue to negate in this discussion is that we are all individuals. We all have our mm -hmm. own gifts, our own talents, our own skills. And no matter how much money you throw at something, no matter how many resources you throw at 
at a group of children, you're never going to make them equal, okay, from a output or an outcome perspective. So, you know, there again, words have meaning, we need to be judicious in that. Mm -hmm. And we need to be clear on what those words actually mean. Yeah. Well, that is a real sticking point, this whole thing about the equality and equity, as you say, and the fact that, you know, we all grew up as kids and knowing that some people were bright in the class, Dr. Hiltz, and some people just didn't have an IQ that fit to the day. Uh, it's just human nature. It's the way it is. And not everybody excels. I mean, the whole idea and promise of America is to deliver an opportunity for people to, to utilize, to take advantage of that opportunity. It doesn't promise anything. It promises you have the opportunity. Now, what the hell you do with that opportunity is your business. And that's that's an American deal right there. It's an ideal that comes from our our founders that, uh, you know, found this whole experiment here of America. But it's used now in such a horrific way. You know, I'm thinking here a moment, and I want to bring on Karen Schoen as well to the conversation here, Karen, to join us uh, along with uh, Dr. Hiltz here both. And, and Karen, and here's what I'm thinking. I want to ask both of you here. Here's what I, I you know, you, Dr. Hiltz just mentioned, by the way, a moment ago, um, speaking uh, about the uh, no child left behind. Now, my mind went there a moment as she was talking about that. I said, okay, well, that, that's President Bush. That's absolutely, that comes back to Bush. That was the whole no child left behind. And, uh, and, and I started thinking more about where that came from and the roots of this thing. You know, oftentimes we point out the left and what they're up to in this Marxist ideology but, you know, that ideology also permeates on the right. And the whole notion of the uh, no child left behind plays right to what Dr. Hiltz is talking about, which really is not in our best interest at all. But yet that was a Republican idea, Karen. That was a total Republican concept that somehow that was going to about, be about fairness and uh, equality again. Do you see where I'm at? I mean, it's actually, I know, I'm just thinking here out loud with y'all, but I'm thinking this is really even more so a, a problem of big government, people who like big bureaucracies to control things, even more than the educating system or what they're really after, because had they really thought it through back then, it was a dumb idea. Speak about that. Well, actually, it wasn't a dumb idea because it accomplished their goal, which is to dumb the American people. That is the whole purpose. From their of, perspective, you're saying it. Exactly. Was, uh, okay. So it was kind of brilliant. And thank you, it Karen. It was a because, brilliant idea. You know, well, what you're saying is what I always say, Karen, is that they know how to do all this on the left so smart and they fit that narrative. They are really accomplishing their goals. Thank you for saying that. Well, you, again, you have to go back a little bit further and understand the roots of Marxism and how this really works. What happened was in the early 1900s, a group of men, um, uh, uh, Freud, followed Freud, Bernays, Edward Bernays, he was a marketing genius. He's the one that created the American breakfast, bacon and eggs. Uh, it didn't happen before he created it. He created Virginia Slims. You're not a woman unless you smoke Virginia Slims. So they have their roots because they were all connected. They were related to each other. And they took um, Herbert Marcuse's work 
on uh, specifically the one-dimensional man and determined through Dewey that man is really an animal and should therefore and can be treated like an animal and educated like an animal. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, they equate everything with, I'm going to give you a stimulus, and this is the response that I am looking for. So it's a stimulus response, stimulus response. It's the um, uh, Pavlov dog theory that if you give a child a stimulus, they will respond in a certain way. And like Dr. Karen said, what is lacking is the human element, I call that, which is the um, uh, human's desire to be different, desire to be an individual, and the ability to say, no, I don't want to do that. So they had to create a situation where the uh, human was no longer capable of saying no. And they did that by using race. And what they do is they put people in groups and teach to that group. And if you don't belong, uh, if you don't believe in what that group is saying, then you are canceled. And this is the way it has worked through the years. Nothing has changed. Uh, this started in what was called the Frankfurt School in Germany. Mm -hmm. And it came to America and these uh, American communists who came here during World War I and World War II as Hitler was cleansing Germany of communists. Uh, they came here and they eventually created what we have today called the Aspen School. And this is the school where all of our educators, our, our educators and legislators go to Aspen, Colorado to get immersed in globalism. And that's what you were alluding to, um, Malcolm. There is no boundary between Democrat and Republican. They are in they are the leaders of both parties. They both have the same goal. And that goal is not to educate the kids because an educated populace will require more from their government. They won't accept. They won't say, oh, we'll take that. We'll do that. They have to have the... Uh, um, you have to do it that way. And that is the only acceptable way. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to be get in that box, you have to be in your tribe, you can't come out. And by doing this, and promoting multiculturalism and keeping uh, division in the schools. And that's what I saw when I was reading the textbooks, they continually reference a particular group, mm -hmm. so that the person, the individual feels, well, if I don't answer the same way, my group answered, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to be kicked out of the group. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm going to answer that way. And what they have done is they have taken away the moral fiber that used to be in school, but we have to thank Governor DeSantis for mm -hmm. bringing back a moment of silence. At least God will be remembered some way. Mm -hmm. But you're speaking about in the state of Florida now. In the state of Florida, he just signed an executive order bringing mm -hmm. back a moment of silence back mm -hmm. to schools. Thank you very much, uh, Governor DeSantis. But by doing that, he is bringing back morality, which is what is lacking. They have been teaching our children in a nihilistic a uh, way where the individual becomes the God. There are no rules except what the individual makes up at that moment. And of course, that all leads to chaos, which mm -hmm. is their ultimate goal, because communists thrive in chaos. Mm -hmm.
Okay. And that's what they're driving. So at. let me uh, then uh, let me circle back here with Bush and the No Child Left Behind because we're on an interesting point, and I don't see many people making this point that we're talking about really big government, uh, and I, I'm trying to tie big government thinkers, which many would believe the Bush family and many in the Republican Party would fall into that caliber of thinking. We tend to point out, well, it's the left, the left, the left, but the right as well. And then you ask yourself, well, what are they really up to? And if these programs are rooted and saturated in Marxist theory, you'll have to wonder when you look behind the curtain there with people like, again, um, you know, uh, the Bush people and, and many others, what really are we looking at? You know, are we, are we looking at, uh, 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 you know, are we looking at people that have the best intention when they say no child left behind? I mean, that sounds really good to people that are just not paying attention. Okay, well, that sounds really good. They're worried about everybody. Well, that, that's a very noble thing. And, well, it, you know, it goes back a little bit further than that. In the 1980s, a woman by the name of Shirley McCune from the McCrell Foundation met with the Governor's Association and Bush 41 was president at that time. And the head of the Governor's Association was Bill Clinton. And she went to the uh, their meeting and she told them that we have determined that we are going to change the function of education. So we will no longer focus on the individual, we will focus on the collective. Uh, facts are no longer relevant. We will feed the facts to the students and they will absorb our facts. And of course, America is uh, taking a back seat because they are promoting world citizenship. And from there, she said that education must be training. We must train our students to work. It is no longer necessary for them to learn anything else other than what is in their field, which is being determined by all of those algorithms that the kids are uh, using every time they use their keyboard. Mm -hmm. So they have she took that and created the school to work program from school to work. Uh, we became no child left behind from no child left behind. It became the race to the top, which then became the common core. And all of these just are different names for the same failed mm -hmm. program. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they're using. They are using programs that have been designed to fail because their goal is not education. Their goal is to mm -hmm. train the little yeah. children to work for them the way they want and to come up with the appropriate answers so that when they send out key messages, they know that they will have a group that will respond in a certain manner. All right. Well, it's a very good point that you're speaking about with all of this packaging. And I've seen that in other programs where they continue to go back to the water cooler and repackage the program and then re-deliver it. And actually, they do that in a lot of worlds. Uh, not just this education thing we're talking about right now, but they, they do it consistently, actually. This idea now, Dr. Hiltz, let me bring you back into this, please. And uh, this whole idea that I'm speaking about, and I haven't left the point yet, and I want to get back to the Marxist roots in just a moment, uh, Karen. But Dr. Hiltz, first, I want to come back over to this big government thinking again. And I, I, I don't think there's enough uh, attention put on the point 
that there are both Democrats and Republicans that are after this narrative. And when they come out with these programs, uh, and many that Karen is just talking about right there, uh, on this whole No Child Left Behind, which we've certainly been exposing here, uh, I ask myself, what are they really up to? And what is the, and I'm talking about even the Republican group, what are they really up to, these, uh, these uh, big Republicans that love these programs as well? Shouldn't we be pointing out that they're all corrupt? Uh, I mean, both sides of the aisle, this really isn't just a left thing, is it? Well, interesting you should uh, venture down this road, Malcolm, because my career, as, as you stated up front, was in federal acquisition and procurement. And so I worked at the federal level uh, and in D.C. even. Mm -hmm. And so I got to see, you know, some of how the swamp operates. Awesome. And my last position was on Capitol Hill, actually. And, and to see how legislation was negotiated, passed, discussed, not discussed, whatever the case might be. My bottom line is it's all about power and control. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or a libertarian or conservative or a liberal or whatever label you want to put on yourself. Mm -hmm. It all is about power and control. How do I retain my position and how do I continue to, you know, propagate my ideology and my concepts and stuff? And one way to also look at it as follow the money. I know you've heard, all of you have heard that before, but follow the money. Who owns the publishing companies? Who's invested in the publishing companies? Who are the consultants or who are the, edu who are the school boards and states education departments contracting with? Um, you know, these things matter. They factor in. And if you look at people on staff and advisors and um, their the experts that they say, they all are within a Marxist ideology. They are diversity, um, equity and diversity leaders. They are academia. They are the politicians. And so look at who is, you know, writing uh, the curriculum for the students across the nation. And they can, and in order to actually get their product into the hands, into the classrooms, they've got to be on a more acceptable national mm -hmm. level, okay? Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think that in modern times anyway, No Child Left Behind is really the crux because that mm -hmm. is what really made a national mm -hmm. statement with regards to as, as, a, as a federal government, we're gonna tell the states what to do. But remember, <laughs> There's no, um, there's no amendment in the constitution mm -hmm. that talks about education. Those are in state constitutions. Yeah, yeah. And so the 10th amendment is relevant in this discussion. Dr. Hiltz, I so applaud you for circling back to that point because it was on my mind. You read my mind is what you did there uh, in bringing it back to the constitution again and states rights versus uh, big bureaucracy and government. And I think the point to make here is playing on what you're saying, Dr. Hiltz, is that Listen, uh, you know, again, the, the Department of Education, it is just another bureaucracy, uh, which, you know, and I used to hear these reports years ago, like, you know, the Department of Education was worthless, we need to get rid of it. And I really didn't know what it meant back then. Like, okay, sure, that sounds cool, whatever. 
and like, the, what did it really mean? But now you really get the grasp of what's happening with all of this big government thinking, uh, Dr. Hills. You, you get the idea, which is why, I, you know, we are going down that path. And I didn't know and expect and anticipate going down this path before we started talking today. But it seemed very natural to me when we get into the Rutzers thing to understand the No Child Left Behind, understand that it was the big Republicans behind all that. I so applaud you for being honest and saying they're all guilty as charged. I agree, Your Honor, yeah, for sure. And we need to point this out to the American people time and time again. I think part of the problem is that we are not convincing uh, the American people enough to understand that the federal government does not have all the answers. They do not have a magic wand for everything that ails us. And the power brokers in DC are the problem. And we're not getting that point across because really education, Dr. Hiltz, answer me this, shouldn't, I mean, at this point in time, at this point of our existence and knowing everything we know, honest, truly from your heart and your soul, shouldn't education really now be handled at the state level? And should we, and should we really, is it time to, to disband the Department of Education in Washington, knowing the way we know it today, um, in, the, in the form and fashion of what it is, is that, a, is that a fair statement or am I overstepping that? No, I think it's a very fair statement. I think the Department of Education, U.S. Department of Education should have been, uh, it should never have been uh, started or you know, introduced. And of course, let's go back and remember that Jimmy Carter mm -hmm. is the one who created the U.S. Department of Education as a political payback. Um, let's be realistic about that. And, um, and, you know, what does the U.S. Department of Education really do? They collect taxes from us. They gather data. They're really a big data warehouse. And then based on that data, they dole out our tax money back to us. And so throughout the nation. And so really, they add no value to the education of our population uh, from that perspective. So, so yes, I, I think that it should be disbanded, um, and I have said that publicly for several years now. So, mm. yeah, no, I'm I'm glad we get to that point because I hear that at times, and you always wonder what does it really mean. And now we really do know what it means. A lot of this, these this one size fits all. This government approach for everybody, uh, you know, from the top down, is somehow the answer to everything that ails us. And we're seeing that it just simply does not. Uh, it is going to be our undoing, actually, in every form that I see here. Um, fascinating very much. I want to now turn back to, uh, and Karen, Sean, I want to ask you something here, if you can elaborate on this point or not. But I'm talking, I, I want to circle back to something. And I talked about this very early in today's broadcast, and I, I'd like to get your perspective on it. You know, we, it, it, real simple now. I want to keep things simple so we everybody understands, but we're playing with the no child left behind from there forward. You also came back and talked about the early 19th century and you had some of the other names. And I, I, and I really want to bring it back to 1937 and uh, the, even before then, is what I'm suggesting. But that was Max Horkheimer, from what I see here, the Frankfurt School, who wrote a manifesto about critical theory. Talk a minute, Karen, if you can, about critical theory, because before we packaged it as critical race theory in this country, which you so eloquently pointed out, they continue to change the packaging. It's like, it's similar to getting a Christmas gift in every year. 
And it's the same freaking lousy toaster you had from the year before, Karen is showing. You understand? You know? <laughs> and they just packaged it with a new wrapping paper and it looks pretty as hell. And you think, well, well, that's a beautiful gift. Thank you very much. You open it up, Karen, and oh my golly, that's the same damn toaster. The next year, again, you get the same package and the same thing. Beautiful package. Oh my God, you went right out of your way this time. Same damn toaster. And you keep doing this and this is what they do. These big government thinkers. They keep throwing it at the people thinking, well, they're going to take it this time. We've got pretty unicorns on there. It wasn't pretty unicorns and rainbows. Clearly, they're going to like this. Oh, it's the same damn toaster again. We can't seem to get rid of that toaster, Karen. Well, let's get back to where they started making the toaster. And that was back before in the uh, when we get back to Europe and we talk about critical theory. Critical race theory comes from critical theory. Can you talk about that? Well, critical theory and, as you said, are really the same thing uh, because everything is based on the psychological manipulation of the human being so that human beings will fit in a mold and act the same way and make them easier to rule. Uh, communists cannot have a middle class. They can only have an upper class and a lower class. And 1% of the population controls the world. And it doesn't matter if you like big government, then you fit in the Democrat slot. If you like big business, then you fit in the Republican slot. But basically, the rulers are the same people. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference. The idea of critical theory was to be able to segment people into groups. And at that time, they were segmenting them into groups using class warfare. Mm -hmm. In America, that doesn't work because in any particular class, you have any kind of ethnic group. So they can't say uh, the uh, upper class is bad because you have blacks, you have minorities, you have uh, whites all in the upper class and the middle class and the lower class. So when the communists came to the United States, they realized that separating people by class and manipulating them psychologically uh, to do and come up with a particular answer, which by the way is called outcome-based and they are outcome-based in everything that we do. Every Everything that we do in America already has the outcome planned. And that's why I always say everything is connected. Nothing is random. Everything has a plan and all plans are based on lies. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter. Education wise was picked because education offers them the most control, the biggest power maneuver and the most money. Education is about, as Dr. Karen said, money, power, and control. It has nothing to do with education. Their desire is not to educate. And they choose programs like in reading, uh, phonemic awareness. They want people to think that, oh, they're teaching phonics. No, they're not. Phonemic and awareness was selected as a word because it sounds like phonics. What is it actually? Mm, it's the wow. study of whole word reading. Well, in the 1930s, I believe, whole word reading was invented to, as a way to help those kids that were uh, uh, challenged, many dyslexic. So they invented this program called whole word reading, where the person would recognize the outline of the word and be able to figure out what the word was by memorizing thousands of words. Well, that program failed, and yet we are doing it over and over and over again. And every time somebody finds it, 
they change the name. So this is what they yeah. do on a continual basis. Yeah. And one, one thing I wanted to go back and tell everyone, okay. this is totally, what they're doing is totally against education code when the education code was written. And if you look up statute 20 education code 1232A, it says that this is the prohibition against the federal control of education. The feds are not supposed to be in education at all. The only thing they're ever supposed to do is make sure that the programs work. And that's not what they're doing. They are controlling education. No Child Left Behind, most people don't realize, was a program that was written by the Bush family. I believe it was Neil Bush. So he managed the program that was the software that wrote No Child Left Behind. How much money did he make doing that? This is all about the money. This is all about power, all about control. And they use psychological manipulation through their teaching in order to twist the kid's head around so that they will not have any original ideas and always come up with the same pre-described methodology mm. that they have learned by tracking the algorithms that are the data management. And why, that's why the data management is so important. It has nothing to do with education. Mm -hmm. It has to do with managing the data. Yeah. Boy, I feel like we're in a cul-de-sac and we're just driving around here, Karen, and we're lost, you know? I mean, really, as a country I'm speaking about here, we are learning so much today from, you, you two are so brilliant, uh, Karen Show and Dr. Karen Hill, so really, I mean, outstanding, surpassed my expectation here. Uh, one of the points I want to hop on that you talk about there, Karen, that I, I just want people to realize, because you, you make so many big points that many of them, I, I'm afraid, don't always register with people. They get lost because we move so quickly in these programs. But, but you know, you, you talk about the power and the money structure of this and the Bushes and those programs. And But more so socialism, communism, Marxism, no middle class. Now, I want everybody to understand, when you talk about people like, I, I want you all to think a minute. Step back and think with me. Take a look at Barack Obama. Okay, okay. Picture him in your mind now. There's him. Take a look at Dianne Feinstein. Think about her. Uh, Nancy Pelosi. Think about her, right? AOC, up and coming, was a bartender, but up and coming uh, in that party. Bernie Sanders. Now, let me, here's a conclusive fact I can give you about all these people, okay? For real, for real. They all want money. They all have, most of them have money and AOC does now as well. I mean, she was a broke bartender at one point, but no longer. They, I mean, they get immersed in this thing and it's not from their salary. They make the money. I point that out all the time, but all these people, the one factor that equates is that they're at the top of the food chain. Back to Karen Schoen's point. You see, what America is missing, when they put this notion of socialism out there to the people and they think, well, we want to help everybody. Well, you take a look at any one of those leaders. And I, I swear to you, people, I'm not trying to be a wise guy here, but they could be you could picture you can visualize any of the people I just mentioned. Think about it, please. Any of the people I just mentioned could absolutely be a leader of another country, a third world country, a dictator somewhere. You could see them up there. You could see them. Every one of them fit that category. They all live in gated homes. 
They're very elaborate. They have staff and probably illegal staff to do all kinds of things for them. They have plenty of money in operation and they're on the way up. They're at that 1% level that Karen Schoen was just talking about. That is the top of the food chain. So there is those and then there are the rest of us, which is you and I, you see? That's where you and I, we're the rest of us. You see, you and I, we're the rest of us. So that's where they eliminate that middle class and they put this all out there. And it really is, again, another brilliant strategy, uh, how they, uh, they just lie like hell, these people. And, and they're really in here in the light of day. And we're not pointing these simple fundamentals out. And we get lost with all the fancy terms and calling them out and yelling and blowing a gasket. But really, it is really, really very simple with the haves and the have nots. And yet they call out the right for being the big money people. It ain't the freaking right. Hello. You know, and the people, big business, big government, big everything. I mean, so you see, and I, I think one of the things we just established on this program, Dr. Hiltz, I'd like you to talk about this is the fact that it really isn't a Republican Democrat thing as much as it is what Karen Schoen just pointed out. It really is a, a really a Marxist thing, a socialism thing. It is the haves and the have nots and the people that are on the up, way up to be that 1%, the AOCs, the Bernie Sanders, the Dianne Feinsteins, the Nancy Pelosi's, the Barack Obama's, the Chuck Schumer's. These people have freaking gates. They have ice cream in the freezer. They're living the life. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't you like to have some of uh, that life? Uh, let me just say uh, one thing, Malcolm, is that I think you flatter them by calling them leaders. I don't know that I would uh, <laughs> refer to any of the names that you mentioned as leaders. Dictators, yes, but not leaders. Um, you're right. Uh, from a There again, I go back to my fundamental statement that I say almost everywhere I go, it's about power and control. I will assume that my authority over you as an elected official, and I will control every aspect that I am able to, and I am going to assume that you are ignorant on every aspect of life and that you cannot function without government intervention. And people need to wake up and realize that, you know, government is not here to help you. What's the old saying, you know, when the government says, I'm here to help you, watch out. And, and that's true in every aspect. Well, in almost every aspect, I'll definitely say. But a couple of things that I else that I wanted to point out with regards to uh, what we're talking about is I want people to understand that critical race theory isn't just about civics and history, because a lot of articles and people who talk about CRT talk about it from the perspective of we need to teach true history and we need to make sure that civics is truth and civics is taught as well. Well, critical race theory is throughout every subject in every grade level. And uh, there again, going back to the words have meaning, it's the words that are being used. And it's more about, um, about how people feel versus what they're actually learning and be able, being able to think about. And another thing that I've said uh, several times is that COVID has been a gift to education in my perspective, because it has really opened the eyes of parents, of grandparents, of the citizenry with regards to what are our children actually being taught when they saw online some of the assignments that their children were given, 
some of the textbook material that their children were expected to read, some of the extra, um, the, uh, um, uh, uh, what do I call it? The um, supplemental uh, educational materials. What in the world are they teaching our children? And so from my perspective, yes, there were many negatives with regards to this COVID, but for education, I truly believe that COVID was a godsend to wake up the American people and let them understand what their children are actually being taught and how they're being indoctrinated. Yeah, yeah. I think that that is a tremendous point you make, Dr. Hiltz, uh, about the COVID. Uh, it, it, it is ironic that, and oftentimes I say this to folks, that many times, uh, you know, a curveball can be a blessing. It, it can be. And when you sometimes have a lowest point in your life, it can absolutely be an opportunity to uh, reassess your life and to be able to move forward with grace and dignity, but smarter, having gone through that path. Now, that is a principal point I carry through my life always. And Dr. Hills points out very well there, what she's saying is that, well, you know, in many ways, COVID really was a blessing. Uh, in that way to education, she's saying specifically. I mean, there's a lot you could find wrong with this COVID exercise we've been through, uh, the pandemic extraordinaire, uh, you know, that it is. It's also been uh, a, a guise to the Marxists, and it's been a, um, it's been, uh, you know, just a blessing to those people because they've used it to clamp down on power. And quite frankly, it's a sad day when you look even now at this point of time and how many people when you walk into a restaurant or a market still, and they're still walking around with mask on, who they didn't do anything even in the heat of the pandemic. And now they're still being buffaloed. And, they, and, you, and they're the same people you see outside exercising, jogging. You know, this is a good barometer, actually, about how we've been dumbed down in our society. Think about it, please. You know, and it doesn't give me a lot of hope, quite frankly. You know, we're sitting here talking about education today and, and, and CRT and all of that. And I'm, I'm on here right now with a couple of smart, smart people. Right. And we've had a great program, but it doesn't give me the warm and fuzzy people. I mean, if that's the measurement we're using, how bright are we? Or have we figured it out? Have we learned our lessons? There's a good part of the populace right now that haven't learned a damn thing from this COVID exercise, not a thing. And they have fallen right into lock and step. If this was a test of the emergency broadcast system, if this was a test for the marchers to see what they could get away with, well, let me tell you what, they are joyous at the moment. They are joyous because they won this battle. Now, I don't suggest to you they won the war, but they certainly have won this battle. COVID is a battle that they won. Well, Dr. Hills points out, well, but in a good, maybe odd sort of way, silver lining kind of thing uh, to the education system, it got the parents to, and we talked about this. I've talked about this on air with you. It, it got them to pay attention, uh, to be aware because the homeschooling and all of that that started to take over and people to see how screwed up the education system was. See, people still don't realize what they're teaching. I know from my own two teenagers that are 17 and 18, I'm right at the, I'm right at the height of it, people. I mean, they tell me all the time what they're, think, what they're teaching in the class and they, they push against it. They rebel against it all the time. You know, 
uh, there's so many stories there. My son would come in and tell me that uh, he's seen signs up where they were teaching the Black Lives Matter movement and pushing that down the throat of the kids. And he would push and he's in a charter school and would push away with it. And my uh, and my daughter is in a, a private Christian school and they would push away against it. But he would do that. And then, you know, when they had the pandemic and they were on the phone doing the Zoom calls with the kids, he has in his room, he had like Trump 2020 and he had conservative uh, uh, signs and ideology on his walls because that's how he thinks. That's what he wants. It's his message, whatever. I mean, they picked it up on their own. They supported Trump before I ever knew who he was. Well, sort of. <laughs> but you get the picture. They're, they're their own thinkers. They figured it out on their own. And then he was told by the school to not to put those on the Zoom camera from his own bedroom in his own home and not to put any signs or ideology up there. But yet the damn school in the classroom is teaching that garbage down the uh, corridor. And that's acceptable and OK. You get the picture. And that's happening everywhere. It's happening from sea to shun and sea people. So, yeah, it's a rude awakening where parents have to wake up now and figure it out for sure. You know, and that's that's what we're dealing with here now. It's a, it's a. We're, we're coming to the point now where uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's concerning. I mean, I, I am truly, truly concerned. I, this is not going to be a quick fix. Nothing is right at this point. I mean, we, we, are, we are a Titanic that's taken on a lot of water at this point. And we, we got a good part of the ship is, is underwater. How do we save that is a hell of a question at this point, isn't it? And this goes well beyond, this is everything. This is in every sector of our conversations, education being one, but there are many others as well. As our lives are being, they're being taken over by a big machine and the globalists do unite and it has been happening. I've never been a big believer in the whole globalist thing, but I am now. I see what's happening and you know, you don't have to hit me over the head with a two by four for me to pay attention. I now see what's developing there. Well, listen, as we take a pause here, I, I want to also remind you that one of our uh, national messages you hear me have out there and spokespeople is healthy cell. Now, there's a reason I've been taking healthy cell for about three and a half years here. Now, because it works, which is why I contacted the company three and a half years ago and said, you've got to get on our platform. We have to get the message out there. Well, what's happened recently when we're talking about COVID here and she talked about what that is, the one thing with any virus, any flu, any problem, whatever it is, the way you fight these things is with a good immune system. If you have a good immune system, my friends, you'll be able to fight any COVID coming down the pack. Any virus, you'll be in the best position you can to fight it. Even the common cold and the flu, which kill far more than this virus did. But that's the deal. And, you know, our bodies are gifts. We have to take care of them. You know, that's the whole deal. We, we get one body, one life here, right? <clears throat> we have to take care of it. And so it does come back to that immune system. Healthy Cell has a new product called Immune Super Boost. It is outstanding because it's got all the things in there, the zinc, the A, the D, the euchanasia, all the things are in there for guess what? For your immune system. So the thing I love about Healthy Cell is they take uh, care of your, the health of your cells so let's all invest in our bodies. Let's invest in our immune systems. If we're not here for the fight forward, we ain't going to be a help to anybody at that point. So I highly recommend Healthy Cell, Immune Super Boost, period. End of story. Our listeners get 20% off their first order here. 
HealthyCell.com forward slash out loud is how you get that 20% off for our, our listeners. Yeah. Or just click the banner back at americaoutloud.com and you'll get the discount or use out loud as the code and you'll be entitled to that. Uh, I think it's important to mention this. Uh, we're going to take a, a real quick pause here and be back to really put things in capsule form just after this. More Voice of a Nation. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Because of COVID-19, the average American worries about their immune health four times a day. That's 112 times per year. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea all in a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. It was a vision that gave birth to a unique multimedia platform that would combine classic talk radio, great writers, and memorable podcasts and videos. AmericaOutloud.com is a conservative leader in a field that is predominantly run by far-left progressive globalists. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. It has been an extraordinary conversation today. I, I hope you've learned some things. I have indeed as well. Uh, and of course, it, it, when you have smart people on, you know, I was just said the other day to me, by, by golly, the quality of folks you have on the program, Malcolm, is tremendous. Uh, and that is a, a great compliment to us to be able to bring the best voices and the best minds uh, to America. And that's important. It's what we're doing here. Uh, closing arguments on this critical race theory and racism and big government bureaucracy and the control of our lives in ways that we never thought possible. And here we are, we're experiencing that right now in real time today. Um, I wanna get uh, uh, final thoughts here and, and Karen Schoen, let me go to you first here and get final thoughts for you. What is it we can share with America right now? Take a moment for us and tell us what the call to action is that makes sense and I'm talking about how we educate people that are simply not understanding the conversations we're having today, whether it be COVID and whether it be our education system, whether it be healthcare, whatever the argument is, what do we got to do to fix it? Well, first, we have to recognize that the people that are doing this are not American and they have no desire to improve America. So everything that they're doing to destroy America is part of their plan. They're globalists. They don't care. They want open borders, they want the destruction, they want the chaos. So we have to put that aside because that's their main goal. Then we have to continually tell the truth 
I would take my children out of public school immediately because public school is funded by your attendance. It has nothing to do with how the grades are. It's the attendance. So keep your kids out of public school, get them into a private school, homeschool them, whatever you can do to get them away from the indoctrination and understand that the indoctrination is in everything we do, everything we see. They are wordsmiths, as we have all discovered, and they are incredible uh, psychological manipulators to get the outcome that they desire. They desire conformity. We have to stop giving it to them. And I would use their own tactics against them. And by that, I mean by taking the Cloward and Piven approach. Oh, they want to have a Muslim uh, week in school and they want to have a uh, a tribute to the Muslims. That's wonderful. Go to the school board instead of yelling at them for doing that. Tell them, that's fine. We want to do that too. We want to incorporate our Muslim students. However, we also want to incorporate our Jewish students, our Christian students. So they need a room also. And what we have to do is overload their system by demanding that whatever they're giving in a special group is against the discrimination of the Civil Rights Act. And if they Mm -hmm. don't apply that to all the students, which they won't be able to, then it becomes impossible to do. So we have to fight back. Karen, that is a great idea. I love that idea uh, to overwhelm the system and but to more so than that, to demand. That's what you call equal rights right there. Yeah, you want that? Sure, do that. But you know what? I want to have a heterosexual day for white males. Oh, my God, you're a racist bastard. You can't do that. Dr. Hiltz, what's your final thoughts? Um, Well, some of my final thoughts are is that uh, we do... Uh, as individuals need to educate ourselves. We don't need to rely on a government or an entity to educate us. We need to educate ourselves. We need to understand what our state constitutions say. We need to understand what our statutes or code, uh, who, who has the authority, a statutory authority with regards to education in your state. And I think that uh, people need to consider running for uh, their state school, um, I'm sorry, their local school board And I'm also a a firm believer in building those relationships with your legislatures because legislation is where the policy comes from. And because in most states, education starts at the state level and gets pushed down to the local level, there needs to be that connection, that communication. So work with your legislators and elected officials uh, to help maybe even formulate some of the legislation, give them some ideas. Don't let the the progressive lobbyists uh, and the progressive nonprofits uh, be the only ones who are offering legislators uh, language for um, bills and stuff. Get in the fray, get in there and participate. Yeah. So, you know, I think those things are um, you need to be a participant. You need yeah. to get involved. Yeah. Well, you have to be involved in the game. Uh, I, I, you know, having watched sports throughout the years, I never found anybody win a game by sitting on the sidelines. It's never happened in the history of sports, period. It never happens in the history of life either. We have to get involved in all of these activities. We have learned so much today, my fellow Americans. We really, truly have uh, in all of this. Everything, the power brokers are at every level of our life, every level of our life they exist, whether it's your homeowners association, your local PTA, 
these little power brokers are little Nazis are everywhere, okay? And, and there's something disturbing about the brain that forces people to think that way. Whereas the rest of us that are patriots and God-loving people, we really truly love all people to succeed if they have the power and the desire to do so. If they want to sit on their lazy asses at home and get fat and happy, well, that's fine too. Just don't expect me to pick up your health care bill. It's that damn simple, okay? All right, all right. I mean, that's the way it is. That's the way it should be in America. Those who achieve, terrific, marvelous. We're happy for you, terrific. Those who suck, wonderful. You deserve that as well. Now, that's what I call equal opportunity, equality for all, right? What's so hard to, and that's, well, that doesn't sound nice, Malcolm. Well, listen, I mean, it's not that I learned that in Sunday school, but you get the point. Yeah, sometimes we have to use that point to make the point. We've learned a lot here on critical race theory, the, the Marxist roots of where it comes from, the steps to take and the actionability that we all have to do. One thing I can promise you is this, is I'll leave you with a joy in your step. The answers and to put a smile on your face today as you go about your business will not be found in the beltway of Washington, D.C. It will not be found with the power brokers who are looking to control your life. So what I suggest you do is help wake up your neighbors, your friends and family, and the people on the other side of the aisle. If you can't get to those people, then things are pretty lost in the weeds. Well, that's what it's going to take to really move forward. We have to wake people up. Thank you again, my fellow Americans, for being with me on the mission. It's time to get involved and get loud. <laughs>